Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down box or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Christ is born, glorify him. I greet you here on Light of the East with the traditional greeting that is used in many Eastern churches during this time, this time of the birth of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh. Our invisible God becoming visible, the great condescension, the kenosis, as we often refer to it in the Eastern churches. And I'd like to, first of all, acknowledge, since this is a time of giftedness, those of you who have been a gift to us, first and foremost, because you listen to us, but also because of your donations and also some of your kind letters. Here's one in particular that came from a friend of ours in Arizona who asked to be remain anonymous, but a good friend, a good listener in Arizona. The listener says this, I appreciate the effort that you are applying to spread the good news via your radio show each week. As a Byzantine Catholic, I have grown accustomed to answering the common questions of, so what is a Byzantine Catholic? Or, if you are a Catholic, why don't you just belong to our Roman Catholic parish? Your radio topics are not only helping me to more correctly answer these questions, but strengthening my faith as well. Thank you very much. And thank you, our good listener from Arizona. You know who you are. And I want to thank you in particular for the very beautiful, generous donation you made to Light of the East Radio. Once again, our listener who want to remain anonymous from Arizona. And I'd like to thank those of you from throughout the country, such as Kathleen Edwards from Roseland, Florida, Lois Engelman from Evanston, Illinois, Sana Joan Wolden from San Francisco, California, Ralph H. Storm and Linda Storm from Lincoln, Illinois, and also Janet Kashak from Harley, Pennsylvania, and another special person as well. Our greetings are sent out to Veronica from Terre Haute, Indiana, a recent listener who contacted me. And Veronica, I want to thank you for your order of our Annunciation Parish nut roll and poppy seed rolls. <laughs> for those of you who are interested, just give us a call, 708-645-0241. So greetings once again, Veronica, from Terre Haute, Indiana. We are the voice of the Eastern churches, the Eastern lung of the church, in which we try to communicate the riches of the Eastern church, both how the Eastern churches are a gift to the whole Catholic church you know, the whole church in general, but also a gift to the world. In other words, the Eastern churches have something very relevant to offer the world. And one of the reasons I say this is because many people today are, in a sense, looking east for their answers, which oftentimes mean they go to California. <laughs> but 
In a recent article from USA Today, this is an article by Kathy Lynn Grossman, the article says this, going to church this Sunday? Look around. It says that elements of Eastern faith and New Age thinking have been widely adopted by 65% of U.S. adults, including many who call themselves Protestants and Catholics, according to a survey by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, released Wednesday. Syncretism, that is, mashing up contradictory beliefs like Catholic rocker Madonna's devotion to a Kabbalah-lite version of Jewish mysticism, appears on the rise. Of the 72% of Americans who attend religious services at least once a year, 35% say they attend in multiple places, often hopscotching across denominations. The article also says, it quotes uh, researcher Greg Smith, these findings all point toward a spiritual and religious openness, not necessarily a lack of seriousness. Now, the article also has these statistics. 26% find spiritual energy in physical things. 25% believe in astrology. 24% say people will be reborn in this world again and again. And 23% say yoga is a spiritual practice. Regina Roman of Alexandria, Virginia, calls herself a very grounded Episcopalian who's active in her church, but she says, I am also stretching the boundaries of how we are to be here and now in this day, age, and culture. We are all in relationship with the cosmos. We need to honor that, says Roman, who doesn't see herself crossing barriers, but rather coming full circle with ancient ideas. Now, for me, a couple other particular points this article brings out is this. It says that American Catholics are so used to not caring what the official church tells them on birth control, divorce, premarital sex, and other points that they don't think they are un-Catholic when they believe and do what they please. It also says there is a resistance to being told what to think. In short, we believe our own experiences are authentic and no authority can say otherwise. That's a very Eastern notion, says Jim Todhunter of Bethesda, Maryland, retired after three decades leading United Church of Christ congregations. He has studied in a Hindu ashram in India and practices Zen meditation and Christian contemplative prayer. In the Western religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the focus is what you believe. There is always a tremendous focus on doctrine and teachings, he says. In the East, Buddhism and Hinduism in particular, the leading question is, do you know God? It's much more experience-based. And the article ends by saying, either way, however you meet God is wonderful. Well, we have an expert on board today on Light of the East, a good friend of ours here at Light of the East, Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery in Valermo, California. Welcome, Father Nicholas. Christ is born. Glorify him. It's wonderful to be with you again in this joyful season, Father Tom. Well, Father Nicholas, you heard some of the excerpts of the article, and you are a spiritual man of the East, of Eastern spirituality, but it does not mean that you are a Buddhist monk or a Hindu monk. (laughs) You are a Christian monk. It's interesting this last sentence here. It said, in Western religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the focus is what do you believe? There is always a tremendous focus on doctrine and teachings, he says. In the East, Buddhism and Hinduism in particular, the leading question is, do you know God? Well, Father Nicholas, I would say that that is actually true for a good part of Christianity, and that is, of course, Eastern Christianity, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would. That I would disagree with the author in how he has classified those religions. But before we go to that, I think it would be useful to look at a genuine overlook of church history, because most Western Christians don't really know church history with all that well. Before Christianity, in pre-Christian times, there was, of course, a lot of paganism, and religion, pagan religions had nothing to do with morality. They were separate from morality. They had to do with worship and mysticism, and Hinduism and Buddhism still continues that tradition. It is true that in Judaism, there was 
an importance given to morality. And from that, Christianity, of course, adopted the importance of morality and even Islam that came at a time from basically many roots, of which two of them were Judaism and Christianity, did also take morality uh, very seriously. But in the ancient world before Christianity, morality had to do really with philosophy, with metaphysics, particularly uh, Greek intellectual philosophy. And in Christianity, because we believe in the incarnation, in God becoming man, certainly mysticism and morality, religion and morality, became united so intricately that they couldn't be separated. But I would disagree with the author when he says that Judaism and Islam and Christianity are Western religions to do with what we believe about God, doctrine, and makes that in contrast to Buddhism and Hinduism, which is more how we experience God. It is perhaps true to say that of Christianity that comes from the Reformed tradition. And it is true to say that of Islam and Judaism. And, and the, the telltale sign is that in Judaism, there is very little mysticism, no monastic life to speak of. In Islam, there is no mysticism, therefore no monastic life to speak of. And I mean serious contemplative monastic life. I don't mean just active religious. And in Protestant Christianity, too, there is no much emphasis on mysticism, and again, no monastic life to speak of. But that is not true of Catholicism and orthodoxy. As we know, orthodoxy and Catholicism have an absolute indispensable role in Christian mysticism and the place of monasticism in those faiths. And I think that shows that Christianity the modern conception is that it is a Western religion. I do not believe that especially. When we look at the history of Christianity, we see that Christianity really became gradually more and more Western, yes, but in its foundations, it is not Western. It is equally Eastern. And we can look and see that uh, at the time of Charlemagne, for example, which amongst Western Christians is seen as the beginning of an attempt to begin Christendom, Western Christendom. Charlemagne, Charles the Great, lived in the 7800s in from the Franks, of course, was crowned Holy Roman Emperor by the Pope of Rome. And we're talking about the 7800s. Now, in the 7800s, Father Tom, there were two cities in the world that had more Christian adherents than any other city. Two cities. Why don't you take a guess? Tell me what what two cities you think they are. Hmm. Byzantium. Uh, Constantinople is certainly one of them. What's the second one? Well, Father Nicholas, we're going to find out the answer to that when we return. Stay with us here with our special guest, Father Nicholas. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, 
we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church has something special for your holiday table this Christmas season. Now imagine an incredibly delicious nut roll or poppy seed roll from the kitchens of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. These ample and substantial old world treats are over a foot long, made with loving care from old world recipes. Just $15 each. To order your nut roll or poppy seed roll, call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. Pick up at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road in Homer Glen, Illinois. Can't get to the church? We'll put it in the mail. Just add $5. Call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church Nut and Poppy Seed Rolls. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. And now, back to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. Once again, Christ is born. Glorify Him. Our greetings during this Christmas season. And we kind of left you hanging there before the break. Father Nicholas has asked a great poignant question in giving us some historical background on Eastern Christian spirituality. He asked, which were the two greatest centers of Christianity in the 800s? And I guessed one of them. It was Constantinople. Or earlier on, it was called Byzantium. It was changed to Constantinople, which is, of course, modern-day Istanbul, Turkey. But Father Nicholas, tell the audience so they, we can tell them to breathe now because they're not holding their breath. Tell them what the second city is. Well, it'll be surprising. A lot of people, a lot of Western Christians will say Rome. But it's not Rome. It's, in fact, Baghdad. Oh. Very few Christians would know that as late as the 800s, the two most centers of Christianity were Constantinople or New Rome and Baghdad. The metropolitan of Baghdad, Timothy of that time, wrote of dependent metropolitan sees, archdioceses that he had overseeing of, oversight of, in India and in China. In fact, as late as the 13th century, only a third of Christians lived in Europe, a third lived in Africa, and a third lived in Asia. And so as late as the 13th century, only a third of Christianity was European. That is news to most Western Christians who think of Christianity as predominantly European, mm -hmm. maybe later on through colonialism has spread to other parts of the world, but that isn't the case from the very beginning. In fact, we talk about 
the, the great councils of the church and the first split in the church of the so-called Nestorian church, the Church of the East. Now, that church that accepted the first two councils, but not the Council of Ephesus, when we study church history, Western church history, we, we tend to think they disappeared. They didn't disappear. They, of course, were exiled from the Roman Empire, and so they went to the Far East, the Persian Empire of the time, and there they thrived, and by about the 700s, they became the majority of Christians. Mm. The majority of Christians were these Eastern, Far East Christians. And I know Pope John Paul II has coined this wonderful phrase of the church breathing with two lungs of the church, two lungs of the church, the Eastern lung and the Western lung. But if we look at it more closely, more technically, we see that in the first millennium, there were really three lungs of the church. There was Western European, centered around Rome. There was Eastern European, centered around Constantinople. And then there were Eastern non-European, that were these very ancient churches that were culturally completely non-European from their beginnings. And I think these non-European churches, although in some categories were seen as schismatic or even heretical. Of course, there were a lot of political and cultural reasons, and not all were theological. But these Far Eastern Christian churches, who were non-European, retain within themselves a sense of Christian mysticism that the more rational European churches, both eventually Latin and Greek, perhaps allowed more to slip out of sight of their consciousness. And I think in this modern age where we are attempting to redefine Christian identity to be all-encompassing, to be attractive to people that are looking more for an experiential faith, I think there is a lot we can learn in looking at this very rich history of Christianity and particularly of the non-European churches that retain that experiential element much more strongly than the more European, their more European counterparts. Well, Father, let's talk a little bit more about that experience, as you say. This does not mean something like, well, it's religion or belief based on what we personally feel or what uh, per, or what we like. When we're talking about experience more of an experiential faith. We're talking about something uh, that's actually very substantial. It goes well beyond just sentiment or feelings, uh, you know, personal agendas, personal experience. It has to do more with a kind of a more mystical union or knowledge of God. Isn't that true? Yes, correct. That's how I would describe it. I would say that Western Christians for the past five, six hundred years have given a great deal of importance to the intellect, to philosophy, if you like, to metaphysics. And that's why, up to the present, the main contentious issues within the church and with church and society are moral issues, abortion, same-sex marriage, uh, sexual morality, uh, social theory. And these are very, very important, but of course they're in the realm of the intellect. Mm -hmm. What I mean by mysticism is it's this experience this knowledge that is deeper, deeper than the intellect. 
I'm not saying emotions. I think emotions are more shallow than the intellect, our emotional lives. I'm saying in the other direction, deeper than the intellectual life, which is where grace works, in the deepest parts of our souls. And we're necessarily going into an area that, that can't be explained very intelligently because that depends on the intellect. But we have to we have to understand that at the core of Christianity is the work of grace. In the East, we have much of an emphasis in Eastern Christianity of talking of grace as uncreated grace, the energies of God. And that works, that experience takes place in each of us, in our souls, at a far deeper level than the intellect. So even dogma, as essential as it is in the Church, especially in Catholicism and Orthodoxy, God forbid that we can't see dogma as absolutely essential and important, but the reality of our faith experience goes deeper than dogma, which is often a good part of it on the level of the intellect. And Father, how does a person open themselves up to this experience, especially as you're referring to an authentic experience, because again, it goes beyond feeling, emotion, a sentiment. It's it's about a true sense of union with God. How does a person acquire that? How do they experience this of experience? It's through <laughs> prayer. It is through prayer that uh, the Holy Trinity, particularly Christ himself, gives us his grace. And that grace, that encounter with Christ takes place in this most deep, intimate part of who we are, our souls. And that's why for Christians, prayer is very, very important. It's more important even than doctrinal definitions. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not important. They're not essential. They are. The the definitions of the church, the teaching of the church is absolutely indispensable, but it is not the deepest element of the Christian faith. Well, the whole point of church doctrine is to bring us to that mystical union with God. Precisely. And to give some sort of intellectual clarity to the degree that it is intellect can grasp it of the reality that is taking place on a deeper level. Correct. I think in the Eastern Church, uh, they call this a kind of a they use the term uh, an apophatic kind of knowing, kind of a knowing by not knowing. In other words, knowing that goes beyond words, beyond anything that can actually be described. But it's yet, it's a most, it's the most real kind of knowing. Yes, it's not apophatic to the degree of, say, Buddhism, where it's almost an agnostic apophaticism. Christian apophaticism is always to clear the mind of creaturely images and creaturely knowledge to be given personally, by God's grace, knowledge that is divine. It's not just to empty ourselves and leave it at that, which is a very Buddhist pagan thing, but it does have some similarities with that. But it's always to empty this creaturely knowledge, these creaturely conceptions, to do away with them, apophaticism, so that this this mystical, this grace knowledge which is an, a personal encounter with Christ, will enter our souls. Well, Father, we have just about a minute remaining. Uh, why not 
share with our audience where they can get in touch with the monk? Because I'm sure if people listening are, if they're as fascinated as I am by what you said, they may want to have you speak or have some of the monks perhaps uh, speak or get in touch with you to, to learn more. Well, the best is to check our webpage. Our webpage is HRM, the three letters for Holy Resurrection Monastery, hrmonline.org. And if you go there, it will give you all the details. It will give you an email address, phone numbers, physical address. The email address is monks at hrmonline.org. Well, Father Nicholas, as always, it's a pleasure. It's fascinating. It's inspiring to have you on our program, Lay the East. Please give our greetings at this time of year, especially to the other monks at Holy Resurrection Monastery. And thank you again for being on our program. A very blessed Christmas season as we celebrate the joyful mystery of the nativity of our Lord to you, Father Tom, and to all the listeners. Thank you, Father Nicholas. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Christ is born. Glorify him on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>